Ladies, at Essentia Health, you're not just a patient. You're a partner in your healthcare journey. We'll get to the heart of your health questions, even the ones you're embarrassed to ask. We'll find solutions to fit your unique needs and lifestyle, because here, we're in it together. Feel confident in your care and in yourself. Schedule a women's health appointment with an Essentia Health provider today. Click the banner to learn more. The Read to Lead Podcast, Episode 72. Hi, I'm Jeff Goins, author of The Art of Work, and I'm glad you're here because you're about to enjoy a great conversation with another successful and inspiring author. It's the Read to Lead Podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. Connectional intelligence is something that's not just for extroverts. It can be really harnessed by both introverts and extroverts, but it manifests in different ways. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. Thank you so much for being here. This is the podcast dedicated to your personal and your professional growth. I sit down with a successful and inspiring author each week, and we talk about his or her latest book. And depending on their area of expertise, topics like leadership, personal development, career, marketing, business, and entrepreneurship. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking with Erica Dewan, co-author of Get Big Things Done, The Power of Connectional Intelligence. I'll be asking Erica about what connectional intelligence means and what the process looks like, why she believes that connectional intelligence can be practiced by anyone, the power of not just sharing problems, but designing them in such a way that many people want to pitch in and solve them, and quite a bit more. If you're anything like me and not able to read as many business books as you would like, maybe business book summaries is the answer. Check out our sponsor, Blinkist, at readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist. And when it comes to learning online and at your own pace, today's sponsor makes it really, really easy. Find out more about Linda's free 10-day trial at readtoleadpodcast.com slash Linda with a Y. Erica Dewan is the founder and CEO of Contential, a global consultancy that accelerates the connectedness of employees, teams, customers, and clients. And through keynote speaking, training, and consulting, Erica teaches business leaders and companies innovative strategies to create increasing value for customers and clients, deliver sustainable results, and ensure future global competitiveness. She writes for Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Fast Company, and the Huffington Post, and she is the co-author of Get Big Things Done, The Power of Connectional Intelligence. Well, Erica, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. We are so excited to have you here. It's wonderful to be here, Jeff. Well, I thought we would start off by uh, having you define this term that you and your co-author have coined called uh, connectional intelligence. Yeah, sure. So in the book, we describe a rising force that we call connectional intelligence, which we define as the ability to combine knowledge, ambition, and human capital, forging connections on a global scale that create unprecedented value and meaning. So we've all heard of IQ as basic knowledge. And about 10 to 15 years ago, emotional intelligence came to the scene both as a leadership tool and for organizations to build cultures of emotional intelligence. And in today's world, for the first time in history, 
um, being hyper-connected, we believe there's actually a third way, which we call connectional intelligence, mm. which has always existed, actually, in history from great scientists and inventors such as Ben Franklin and Leonardo da Vinci. But today, the scale, depth, and breadth of our connection has radically changed. And it's allowed anyone to think and act in revolutionary new ways, uh, to drive and build communities differently, to mobilize resources, to spark new types of curiosity, and to have courage to connect in ways that were not possible just even five years ago. Uh, so we're really describing that force and sharing how anyone and everyone can really harness this force of connectional intelligence to get big things done in their life, in their community, in their world. Well, the book includes, as you hinted, an, a number of, of real-world examples of this, uh, some of which we'll get into in a moment. But the book is more than just two, uh, a who's who or a, or a top ten list, right, Eric? I mean, anybody can do this ultimately. Absolutely. You know, what we've seen is actually, you know, it's it, the book really highlights how anyone, how individuals are using this, but also the underdog, I think. And what we've seen we have stories ranging from a pumpkin farmer to a plumber to a 29-year-old CEO um, and beyond that you don't have to be rich or successful or even a business person to use connectional intelligence. What you really need is the ability to make smart connections and build off of them. And what we saw is that many of the people that had really high connectional intelligence, they just had an idea or a passion, nothing else. But what they did is they opened them, themselves up to other people, resources, and ideas in a way that transformed what they thought was possible. And then they actually took ownership and made it happen. And it was those ingredients that really um, has led to some of our greatest connectional intelligence that we've seen in today's world. Well, as, as you dug into the data and began to do your research uh, for the book, were, were there some uh, initial discoveries maybe early on that surprised the two of you? There, there absolutely were, and um, we really tried to be connectionally intelligent about mm-hmm. how we wrote the book, um, and so we spent a lot of time with um, people from all walks, of ma- all, all walks of the map, and, you know, I would say one of the most interesting things that we uncovered is that connectional intelligence is, is something that's not just for extroverts. Um, it can be really harnessed by both introverts and extroverts, but it manifests in different ways. And actually, introverts, um, when using connectional intelligence, it really holds a key in how they can actually get their ideas across. Mm. Because what we're talking about is that each of us really have skills to connect. And, and when we talk about being connecting, we're not talking about just connecting with people. We're talking about connecting with ideas and resources. Um, And what we found is that sometimes there were introverts that were able to connect with large groups and get their ideas out there, but behind a blog or a Twitter feed or a YouTube channel, right? Right. Um, Or there were um, smaller, more intimate communities that are created now Um, through different sites, through different communities that are changing the landscape of how ideas get heard and ideas get noticed. So so we found that there are different ways that are manifested, but it's really powerful and beautiful um, in how introverts have um, leveraged connectional intelligence, um, which is, I think, something that um, where introverts were left out of a conversation in the past that was primarily about networking with people. Well, connected to that, uh, what's the difference, as you define it, between someone who is, say, great at networking 
uh, versus someone who you would call a, a true connector? Yeah, so I love this question, Jeff. Um, <laughs> well, first, let me define the two. You know, we've heard of networking, and networking is really about um, building relationships and creating connections with people. That's how it's been defined. And a connector, a connector is you know, actually 10 years ago, Gladwell coined really on a major scale, the term connector. And he used it when he described three personality types that play a central role in the creation of social epidemics, the mavens, the salespeople, and the connectors. Mm. And, you know, a lot has changed since Gladwell coined this 10 years ago. Um, And that, you know, although what he talked about is there's these three types of roles, I think today to be successful, everyone is a connector. And they're a connector whether they have to start a social movement or get their product noticed. Um, and what a connector really is, is it's someone who's really the hub of connections. So it's not just about um, having lots of relationships with lots of people, which is sort of like I have 5,000 Facebook friends. <laughs> it's really, um, I'm the hub. I'm creating introductions. I'm a, hu- a central hub of many different forces. And a connector is someone who's bridging those different people together, not just connected to all of them, if that makes sense. It's almost like the the visual that I would describe between a networker and a connector is a networker is almost like a dot, and then there's lots of lots of little dots connected to that dot in the in the center that the central dot can reach out to. But a, a connector is someone who builds a snowflake. A snowflake mm. is completely intertwined and connected, and that because that's what the connector does. They create this intertwined web of connections. Um, and you know what we talk about in our book is actually we're taking that concept of a connector to the next level, and we're saying you know you can actually connect. We talk about three different types of connectional intelligence in our book: um, those that are connectionally intelligent as a thinker those that are connectionally intelligent as, enab- as an enabler, and those that are uh, connectionally intelligent through what we call being a connection executor. And the thinkers are connectors who really often um, generate bre- groundbreaking ideas in connection, and they're, they, they have really high curiosity. The enablers are those that are really the community builders when it comes to connections, and they create the structures, forces, and teams to get big things done. And then the connection executors might be great networkers, but they're the people that mobilize all the people and resources to get it done in action. They're the mobilizers. Um, and so as you, you know, as, as you think about the changes networking was the first step Mm. connecting was the next step and really we're adding the third layer which we believe is being connectionally intelligent and understanding how you are being a connector in today's world and you know this is probably as good a time as any erica to mention lynda.com who is helping make today's episode possible and they're all about connecting thinkers and teachers to students all across the globe whether it's excel wordpress photoshop or web development photography whatever it is you want to learn about lynda can help you do that And just for you, they're ready to offer a 10-day free trial to their website. Uh, Access to all of their videos and tutorials absolutely free for 10 days when you go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Linda. That's unlimited access to every course on the site, access to view the tutorials on your tablet, your iPhone, or your Android mobile device, and access to new courses added every single week. 
whatever new subject you want to learn about, whoever it might be you want to connect with halfway around the globe, possibly, Linda can help you do that. Again, that URL is readtoleadpodcast.com slash Linda. Remember, that's Linda with a Y. I hope you'll check it out. Well, I'd love to get into to some of the uh, stories you share in the book. Share, if you would, a bit about the story of Ron Wallace. I thought this was as good a story as any to illustrate connectional intelligence. Absolutely. Um, so Ron Wallace is a pumpkin farmer from the smallest state, Rhode Island, in the U.S. Um, and his one of his goals in life was to win a spot in the Guinness World Records um, for pumpkin farming. Every <laughs> year there is a national, there's an annual competition for the world's largest pumpkin. And, you know, if, if that isn't enough, Ron was a really curious guy when we interviewed him. Um, he spent 20 years growing big pumpkins as a hobbyist farmer. And what he did was really interesting. So, Two years ago, he won the world's largest pumpkin contest, and he grew a 2,000-pound pumpkin. (laughs) And from the beginning of time to the year 2000, the largest pumpkin ever grown was 1,000 pounds. So in a mere 12 years, Ron Wallace doubled the world record. Mm. And the question is, how did he do it? And he, what he did is he used his connectional intelligence. He spent years finding out everything he could about every industry, in fact, related to his passion. So he studied potato farming, soil science, how funguses work. He learned everything he could about growing pumpkins, following fruit and vegetable growing, and then began collating data from everywhere he could. Um, He reached out and made contact with leading scientists, persisted until he got what he wanted. At first, when they, you know, laughed at him because he was just a pumpkin farmer in Rhode Island. But he ended up testing samples with scientists. He not only did that, but he connected with lots of different people. So he joined a statewide pumpkin growers association and became an active member of a website called bigpumpkins.com. And through these two distinct groups, he was able to bridge ideas from the scientific community, from small pumpkin farmers, and from a larger set. Uh, pumpkin farmers. And and over that time, he decided to combine everything he knew, the soil science research, potato farming research, strategies about when and how to time his crop. And he discovered a specific fungi that radically expanded his, um, his pumpkins. And that led him to break the world record and grow the largest pumpkin. But the story doesn't stop there. In fact, today, Ron gives talks across the world talking about how to grow big pumpkins. And scientists who once considered him sort of as an irritant now court him for his experience. Mm. And also many small-scale farmers in places like India and Africa have reached out to Ron to learn from some of the techniques um, that he's used, um, particularly because these farmers can't afford chemical fertilizers. And the majority of Ron's techniques... And we're based on really focusing on um, more um, organic ways uh, of growing. So Ron, you know, in essence, is shaping big agriculture in a way that is unique, but using his connectional intelligence. Well, not only individuals, but there are some stories that Erica shares uh, related to organizations and connectional intelligence. And one of my favorites, Erica, was the story of uh, DoSomething.org yeah. and their realization that leveraging connectional intelligence meant uh, doing something, uh, no pun intended, they, they weren't necessarily designed to do. Yes, absolutely. 
So DoSomething.org is an advocacy organization that mobilizes over 2 million teens across the U.S. to engage in social issues that matter most to them. And um, the CEO, Nancy Leblin, realized that one of the best ways of reaching these teens in today's world is not just through email campaigns, but through texting campaigns, so texting these teens. And for any of us that work with teens or or have teens at home, we know that texting is a big part of the way they communicate. And when they launched the texting service, it was going well. Um, But very quickly, you know, with their large reach of teens, they began to receive some very alarming and disturbing text messages on their platform. Um, There were texts coming from teens who were worried about being bullied that day or that were facing depression or even um, as scary as issues like rape. And um, and at that time, that was a really difficult moment for the Do Something team because they um, did not have an exp- any experience with managing these types of issues. They were primarily an advocacy organization around volunteer causes. But what they did at that moment was really tap into their connectional intelligence. And the CEO, Nancy Lublin, really asked a new set of questions when she got this. She asked, how can we help? You know, who can we connect these teens to? And so she was courageous enough to combine her resources, having the connection to over 2 million teens, with a set of new communities. She brought together social workers, teen health experts, and health clinics. And in partnership with Do Something, they created um, something called Crisis Text Line, which is a texting hotline for teens in crisis. But she didn't just stop there. She um, also asked these other communities, who else could benefit from this data now coming in through Crisis Text Line, and today over a million messages have been um, transferred through Crisis Text Line. What's happening is now communities are now mobilizing and leveraging the Crisis Text Line data to create the first real-time database on teens and their troubles, mm. using this data to reach communi- new communities like public policy officials, school administrators, and educa- educators to understand issues like, did you know at 3 p.m., you know, your school has a bullying problem? Or teens in El Paso, Texas are three times more likely to have depression than teens in Chicago, Illinois. And this data now is being unleashed um, through a a platform that Do Something has now created called Crisis Trends, which is allowing um, the crowd to have access to this data, um, looking at by day, by week, by state, to begin to analyze how it could be used by researchers by journalists, by public policy professionals and beyond. So what I love about the story is that, you know, sometimes connectional intelligence is something you use to get big things done, like Ron Wallace, who was very clear that he wanted to grow the world's largest pumpkin. Mm. But sometimes connectional intelligence is a matter of being open to act in a shifting landscape when it just occurs. And that's, a, that's where the story of Nancy Lublin and the organization of Do Something really took a moment and created an opportunity. Well, if you wouldn't mind, uh, I would love to dive in a little bit to one more story. One of my favorites was the story of, and I hope I get the name right here, Sugata Mitra. Yes. And his uh, kiosks, uh, third world kiosks in many cases, and how they dramatically are helping to change how we think about education in, in, in other parts of the world. Absolutely. Uh, Sugata Mitra is a professor in the UK, and one of the experiments that he began in India was um, to send a hole-in-the-wall kiosk, a Wi-Fi-based computer kiosk, into small areas where, where school children are throughout India. 
um, without an instructor or a teacher, but really to see what happens when the kiosks are less left there. And when he came back after they had been left for weeks at a time, he began to see that the students in the area were using the kiosks and they had learned on their own with access um, to the kiosks how to start practicing their English and um, how to find different types of information through the kiosks. And one of the most interesting parts of this is it really shifts the question of how learning can happen when give, when when students are given the right access to the tools, mm. um, not necessarily relying on a specific teacher. But one of the really unique things that came out of um, Sugata Mitra's work is that um, when he started to share um, the Hole in the Wild Chaos um, initiative around the world, he began to um, get reached out to by many different communities asking, how can we help? And there was one specific community. It was, a, it was a group of grandmothers in the UK who said, we love this initiative. How can we help? And one of the typical things that happen in that case is, you know, organizations like this one ask for money. But, but what they decided to actually do was very different this time. Um, they created what's called the Granny Cloud, which is today a cadre of grandmothers in the UK and Australia who now, um, who, you know, basically live at home and video Skype weekly with um, these school children in, in, in India and now in other parts of the world through the um, Hole in the Wall kiosk program. And what's so profound about this is that you know, one of the things that the first one of the first things that these students using these kiosks did is they um, tried to learn English and practice their English. Mm. Um, one of the challenges with that is practicing English um, with speakers in the UK and Australia is is really beneficial. And so, what this opportunity did is it allowed these grandmothers first to connect with each other through this initiative, and they have a Facebook group. Um, it's r really a powerful community. And also to connect with these children through video Skype in a really amazing way. And the other flip side to it is that we often think that that story ends and the, the grandmothers are, are the givers here. But what we've also seen through research is that through networks and through digital interaction, um, there's actually research that shows how video and, and digital interaction can help maintain cognitive ability as elders age. So really, it's a two-way, profound way of connecting grandmothers in the UK and Australia and school children around the world. Love that story. Uh, you say in Chapter 7 that connectional intelligence isn't just about uh, sharing ideas and, and data and problems with lots of other people, but it's also about the ability to, I think how you say it, is, is design problems in such a way that many people will want to pitch in and solve them. So I'm curious as to what, what that looks like in the real world. Yes. So I think that this is one of the most important attributes of leveraging connectional intelligence when you're facing a big challenge, um, particularly. Um, so, you know, what we found in our research is that some of the greatest forms of solving a problem when connecting to a large crowd weren't necessarily just about crowdsourcing. So a lot of people talk about the power of crowdsourcing and leveraging the crowd. And I think it's incredibly important. But I think that underneath that, you can, you know, connect with a larger crowd, but you may or may not get a big result. But one of the nuances to add on to that is designing a way 
for people to be engaged and excited and feel like they're pitching in in, in, a, in a much deeper way. And one of the key ways that we've seen that emerge is through gamification. And one of the examples that I th- think will help bring this to light is a game that was created recently called Folded. It was created a couple of years ago um, by a group of computer scientists that were involved with a work uh, related to protein folding, which is a very rigorous process. And what a group of computer scientists did is they started to think about what would be a really good way to to continue protein folding work, but take the best of what humans are capable of and combine it into something better, not just relying on computers. And so what they did is they created a game called Folded, which allowed humans um, online to see how proteins fit together in a way that you know, computers just can't, and to actually play a game as if they are folding proteins. Mm. Um, And today, hundreds of thousands of people have played the game, you know, in the early days with just over 200,000 players of the folded game, they created a wiki and they created several chat rooms to engage gamers to discuss their favorite strategies, to share tips, to benefit the group. And, you know, what began as just protein folding is really done by large machines, um, now has engaged so many citizens in a really powerful way, even just during the Ebola crisis an Ebola game was created. And, you know, people are playing it across the world. And I think when we really design problems where people can pitch in in small bits, it really creates a much larger change in how we can um, in how we can solve a problem or create a new opportunity. Well, much of what we've, we've talked about today uh, stems from part one and part two of the book. Uh, book is in three parts. Uh, before I move on to some questions not directly related to the book, Erica, uh, is there anything else from the book you'd like to make sure we know about? You know, I would say that we, you, you just mentioned it, Jeff. So part one and part two of the book really walk through stories from all across the map of how individuals are leveraging and using connectional intelligence to get big things done. Part three is what we call the handbook. Um, It puts it all together and we have tools in there like a quiz, a guide, uh, questions to ask yourself and a work plan. So you can take these ideas and you can um, help achieve the big thing that you want to get done. So we really urge you when you see the book to really dive into part three and take these ideas into action. Well, I want to ask you a question I ask of every guest, and in that this is the Read to Lead podcast, I always like to ask each guest to name for us a couple of books that you've read or are currently reading that have impacted you and and maybe share how or why they've impacted you as they have. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite books that I read more recently, um, because there's so many books, um, is Choose Yourself. Choose Yourself is by James Altucher, and it's a powerful book because what I love about it actually is... You know, I've read a lot of personal development books, but this is written by, you know, sort of a no BS serial entrepreneur (laughs) who's talking about, you know, how you choose yourself in today's world and how you step up and realize that you matter and your ideas matter. And, And it's really a book that's all about execution and getting, you know, making things happen. And I think it's just, it's more of a personal book. Um, But I think it's such a great tie-in to our book, Get Big Things Done, because it really is about you have to start with a personal journey to affect a larger group. And, you know, I'd say another one of my favorite books is fiction. Um, It's a book called Americana by Chimnandani Nyozi. And um, Chimnandana is an amazing um, author. This book 
is about um, two individuals, primarily led by one character who is an African woman who moves to the United States. And she, um, she experiences for the first time ever the idea of being black because in Africa, everyone is black. And, um, and it's a book about identities and changing identities and notions. And I think that as we live in a more interconnected world, um, a more globally connected world, these idea, this form of identities are shifting and changing, and they're changing for all of us. And I think it was just a really powerful read that I think helps me continue to reflect on how our identities, our histories, shape us, you know, in whatever environment or community we're a part of in, in that moment. I'm currently reading Choose Yourself as well. It's a book I started several months ago and then picked back up just a couple of weeks ago and hope to have uh, James on the show uh, someday in the future. Uh, uh, another one I will throw out to you that uh, you may not be aware of, his his wife has just uh, released a book called Become an Idea Machine because ideas are the currency of the 21st century. Uh, I just picked that up the other day. I haven't started it yet, but uh, I hear fantastic things about it. So uh, that's one I'll pass along to you as well. Sounds great. Thank you for that, Jeff. Well, in addition to reading, I believe that the ability to effectively share your ideas in public uh, plays a major role in the level uh, of your success and speed of your success. Be curious to know, as somebody who does a fair amount of public speaking, Erica, what are some of your tips uh, for delivering a meaningful and memorable public talk? Yeah, so I would say speaking is really about storytelling. Mm. And, and, you know, a lot of people talk about this. I think my, it's interesting, um, my most powerful talks when I've spoken, whether it's about the book or just about my thought leadership or, you know, my work related Mm. to millennials beyond has been when I've spoken from the heart, you know, it Mm. wasn't memorized or planned. And, you know, I always have talking points and I think about what I'm going to say and I write down ideas, but I never stage a speech. Mm. Um, I, I always think about what are the big things I want to share. And, you know, I may or may not have slides, but I think it's actually about when people really feel like they're talking to you, right? Like they're in a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Um, they feel much more connected. And, and at the root, it is about connection. So I would say both the idea of storytelling and leveraging stories both from what you've seen and from your personal life and also this idea of like not over preparing I think has allowed some of the best speakers to be as successful as they are. So would it be fair to say that uh, standing in a room in front of a bunch of people you're maybe more thinking about making a connection one person at a time? Yes. Okay okay good good I like that. Uh, 100 years from now, Erica, what do you hope to be remembered for? Wow. Um, for being a dreamer and, and, and a doer. Mm. For being both. Um, I think that's what the world needs. And, and sometimes I'm much more of a dreamer. <laughs> and at that point, I'm going to be connectionally intelligent enough to partner with the doers I know. <laughs> and sometimes I'm a doer and I'll know when to partner with the dreamers. And so I think by doing that and building communities that can cultivate both. Good, good. Well, finally, what is next on the horizon for you? What are you working on now uh, that you're excited about and, and that you can share? Um, you know, I'm about to get ready for a big, get big things done book tour. So mm. that's 
that's big. I'm traveling to 10 cities across the U.S. um, And I'm thrilled to spark and um, build communities around this book um, that can leverage connectional intelligence. And, you know, I'm also really committed to um, growing my work in this field, really helping organizations leverage connectional intelligence as a concept to develop in, in their people. So I do a lot of training and workshops and consulting work around that. And and I'm excited to see what emerges. I really believe that that when used well, this can be a powerful force, not only for large companies, but also for nonprofits, for the public sector, um, for the medical world. Mm. And so I hope to begin, you know, and, and be on that journey also with my co-author, Sasha Nicole Jonai, to, to step into that and see um, what's needed most. And, and did you also want to mention uh, something related to a promotion surrounding the book as well? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I'd love to offer is a free gift to sort of get you into the motion of what connectional intelligence is all about. Mm -hmm. And the gift can be accessed through text message. So if you text the number 66866 and text the word Erica, that's E-R-I-C-A, I will send you the details and you'll just plug in your contact info and send you a more detailed connectional intelligence assessment um, to assess your connectional intelligence and a guide that you can use with your team to help assess the individual and and create sort of a team analysis of how you're using connectional intelligence to get something big done. So um, that number to text is 66866 and type in Erica, E-R-I-C-A, and you'll get the details um, for how to get the free gift. I just did it as you were talking from my phone. Wonderful. <laughs> well, Erica, it has been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for giving of your of your precious time to us today. We're excited to have had you as a as a part of the Read to Lead podcast uh, history. Thank you so much again. Remember that special offer Erica mentioned. You can text her name, Erica E R I C A, to six six eight six six. For the links referenced in today's conversation, the books that both Erica and I recommended, and to leave your feedback, simply go to the show notes page for today's episode. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 072 for episode 72. I want to remind you, too, that I'll be releasing a bonus episode in March 2015 with last week's guest, Jeff Goins, author of the book, The Art of Work, A Proven Path to Discovering What You Were Meant to Do. But in the case of this bonus episode, it will be you that's asking the questions. Take advantage of Jeff's expertise and promote your website at the same time. Plus, get yourself in the drawing for three books from previous guests here on the show. To leave your question for Jeff right now, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash question. Well, that wraps up another episode. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Do-do-do-do-do-do.